Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to OKF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. Folks, I'm not going to spend too much time on today's introduction as I want you to get to the interview that I just did. You know, often in this work, I have the privilege of sitting down and speaking one-on-one with some of the most brilliant minds, people who I really believe whose voice, presence, writing deserves accolades upon accolades. Jared Yates Sexton is, in my humble opinion, absolutely beyond. Um, He's a political analyst. He is the co-host of the Muckrake podcast. He is the author of the upcoming book that will be available January 2023, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. I had an amazing time in this jam-packed, close to 40-minute conversation with Jared, where we really unpack the crises that are at hand and what our future looks like. And frankly, you know, it's not often, I mean, you guys know that I am a person that is ye of little hope, but it isn't often that I honestly get to get into the nitty-gritty As to why I am ye of little faith, as to why we need to understand that what we are fighting for is a future that we may not see, right? And that is actually the responsibility of each generation to fight so that the generations that come behind us don't have to remake the wheel. But in the fight that is impending, the fight for our democracy, the fight for our bodily autonomy, the fight for our civil liberties, we may be just at the precipice of the darkness, and we may not see the light again. But that should not stop us from doing everything that is within our power to make it so that there is another side, right? That 
some generation does get to the other side. And that sometimes, folks, it is necessary to break shit down, to break it apart, to have a breakdown in order to have a breakthrough. So Jared and I pull absolutely no punches in this conversation. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Coming up next, my conversation with political analyst, co-host of the Muckrake podcast, and author of the upcoming book, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the first time, author, all around badass, Jared Yates Sexton, who has a new book that will be coming out in January 2023, The Midnight Kingdom, The History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. He is also author of the 2020 book, American Rule, How a Nation um, config- uh, Conquered the World but, uh, but Failed Its People. Jared, um, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF. I I, I want to talk about um, what we have been seeing over the course of the last several months, which is the normalization of dehumanization and brutality and cruelty as it pertains to the migrant crisis in this country and what both Governor Abbott in Texas and Governor DeSantis in Florida have been doing when they have decided to either bus or most recently charter planes to bamboozle migrants into believing desperate people, into believing that there is work, housing, food, a better life on the other side of this uh, transit And then they arrive and they're dropped off on a tarmac or abandoned in front of a building. And there are photo ops and, you know, they get to replay this humiliation and dehumanization on Fox News for political points. But what's worse is that our media is complicit in the continuation of this. And so I want to get your thoughts on how this level of normalization is really getting to the core of the destruction of the values, supposed values, this country was actually built on. Yeah, this stunt, we were talking a little bit about this before, like just how repulsive this thing was. And I want to call it what it is, because a lot of the time we get caught up in the idea that this is a stunt or a game or some sort of political move, which is what our media has portrayed it as. We're talking about living, breathing human beings. We're talking about some of the most vulnerable people on the face of the earth right now. Uh, Families, children, months-old babies who are being used by some of those powerful people in the United States as part of this stunt, as as part of this giant manipulation. And I want to point out that what does that show us? It shows us that these people do not see these living, breathing human beings as human beings. They're treating them like trash. It's literally the equivalent of of a political stunt where there's some sort of, I don't know, um, trash strike. And as a result, you throw your your garbage bags on like the the lawns of the people in charge. That's what this is. Mm. And it reveals like the deep, deep corrosive white supremacy that is at the heart of not only the Republican Party, but also the powerful in this country. Because what is happening at this point is that the Republican Party is not just a worsening political project. 
they're representing a lot of forces and a lot of uh, uh, momentum that's taking place in this country. We we obviously have seen for years now these people have been put in camps. Um, they, this is one of the stories. Hardly it, it it hardly rose up to the public consciousness. There were forced sterilizations. The amount of abuse that took place in these camps, like this, was for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And it was not limited to just the Trump administration. This has been a continual abuse of these people who have been dehumanized and brutalized constantly. Uh, occasionally, you know, we'll talk about it and there'll be a moment where politically we'll talk about who's winning here, who's winning there. Our media class and our political class have shared that view that these are not actual human beings that you necessarily need to treat humanely. It just so happens that the Republican party says it out loud. These types of stunts are, 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 you know, open expressions of that. The fact that our media is normalizing this, that they're calling this a protest, that they're saying it was a political move. Some people are criticizing it. Notice how the headlines sort of treat this. What we're watching is this uh, immigration, quote unquote, crisis, which is what they always call it, right? Uh, Which is actually a humanitarian crisis. Mm -hmm. It's just being treated as what do you do with all these people? Because we in the United States, we don't have enough resources to take care of them, which is absolute hogwash. It's it's absolutely absurd. So we're reaching this point in our political environment where so-called liberals, people who are supposed to care about these people, yeah. they're saying, listen, I wish we could treat them better, but we just, we can't. We just don't have the resources. We don't have the things. And And you and I both know things are going to get worse as climate change starts to knock out resources, starts to actually like corrode away of land and this this immigration crisis that everybody keeps talking about this humanitarian crisis is only going to grow and grow so what we're seeing from abbott what we're seeing from desantis this is an early preview of where all of this is going unless the united states of america has an actual reckoning with first of all where we come from who we are what we've done and how we treat people who are not considered, you know, worthy human beings. So this is actually an expression of something that is latent within the American character and culture. And it just so happens that now it's coming to the forefront because this crisis grows and grows and grows. And we're sort of, we're sprinting towards a cliff right now. So this type of cruelty, it's only going to get worse. You know, it's, I want to stay with this for a moment because I think that what has happened and obviously we saw it magnified during the Trump administration. Um, but it is the acceptance of a certain level of cruelty, right? It is, you know, we went from revering and applauding essential workers at the height of COVID-19 to um, beating teachers up for wanting to have mask mandates, to sending in bomb threats to hospitals that are caring for people and saying that this is a hoax and you're killing these people. This all does stem from a part of what your upcoming book is about, which is paranoia and the politics of paranoia and how when we're able to seed it as well as the Republican Party has that the only thing that grows from there, as far as I can see as a student of history, is violence, right? Is authoritarianism, is fascism. So I want you to speak about the politics of paranoia and how the how the insidiousness in which we are trying to defund our public education system and stop the learning of our history 
as a way to continue fueling that reality that they want us to believe, that alternate reality of their coming for us. Yeah, and and to go ahead, I think public education is a um, a really really troubling but perfect way to look at all of this. So on one hand, the attack on public education is absolutely about trying to push a curriculum, which all these people are, that goes ahead and whitewashes America's history of of inequality, America's history of white supremacy, misogyny, you name it. This is about going ahead and sort of repairing a break in the dam. Like, as we're talking about what actual history is, they see that as, like, incredibly dangerous, right? Because it reveals uh, what has actually happened and what uh, this entire American project, how we've arrived at this point. Because if you start putting things together, all of a sudden, you can have mass politics. You can actually push for change and, and, and you know, some sort of a course correction. So on one hand, it's absolutely about controlling information. And if you look at uh, history, reactionary causes always go after education first. That's the first thing that mm-hmm. they do. They they call teachers traitors. They call them, uh, you know, enemies of the people. They call them, you know, dangerous threats. That's always what happens. But there's a twin part of this that reveals a larger thing. All of these sort of um, quote unquote grassroots groups that are going after CRT or, you know, groomers in, in, in public education, they're all being funded by wealthy, wealthy donors and and their their constellation of think tanks and institutes. And the reason that they're doing that is not just in order to control history and information. It's also to destroy public education in totality. They want to go ahead and privatize it because, and I'm getting ready to say trillion with a T, this is a potential trillion dollar industry privatizing public education. So what's happening in the middle of all of this? You can't have a Koch brother who comes out and says, my plans are to destroy public education and make billions of dollars. That doesn't work, right? Because people are going to hear, oh, wait a second. You want to make sure that my child not only doesn't get an education, but also that they're going to make less money, which is part of this. Like, if you think this is going to stop at Roe v. Wade, it's going to, we're talking about gay marriage, but we're also talking about things like minimum wage. We're talking about workplace regulations and oversight. Like, it's the rolling back of all of the progress of the 20th century. So you can't go out and say, this is what I'm doing for my own profit, for my own empowerment, and basically to finish off my takeover of government and public industries. So you have to create a story. And what this group always does, and again, this is historical, this is, it's the playbook, and it's really kind of disturbing how predictable it is. What you do is you make up a story that explains why things are the way they are, why people are suffering, but you take your blame and you transfer it over. So, for instance, you'll notice that in all of these stories, and I'm talking about in the New York Times and the Washington Post, all of them. They all talk about there's something happening in the country. We don't know why. There's some sort of anti-democratic crisis that's taking place. And and people who who have just been paid millions of dollars to diagnose the problems. And by the way, the problems are always a moral crisis, right? It's always (laughs) the nuclear family has fallen off. People aren't, you know, going to church enough. These people who've been paid millions of dollars to know everything, they just can't figure out what's going on. Like, they, they, who knows what's happening? It's a it's a democratic crisis, but they can't figure it out. And the reason is this. 
all of these stories, all of these conspiracy theories, they take the onus off of the wealthy who have just not only become historically wealthy as they've created inequality, but they've started to take over the government. They've corrupted the government with special yep. interests. They've basically bought off members of both parties. The Republican Party is only a PR front for these people at this point. It goes ahead and it, it, it takes the spotlight off of this unequal capitalist system that they have completely run roughshod over. And it says, no, it's not economic inequality. The problem is satanic cabals. <laughs> right. And, it, and it's always this supernatural evil, capital E evil. Right. And and what it does is it basically says that there are people who are serving Satan, who are serving. Yep. And, and, you know, with Alex Jones, QAnon. It's like, yeah, QAnon. It's extra dimensional stuff. They're 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 abusing children. They're doing all this. And you'll notice in all of this, what always gets lost is the simplest explanation, which is. This is because wealthy people want to become Agreed. more wealthy. Yeah. And it always is a detour that goes around it. So all of this paranoia, all of these conspiracy theories, they are intentional weapons that go ahead and hide what's happening. And I'll tell you this, they always grow and grow and grow whenever people get sick of this. They say, I'm so tired of working this hard, of being treated this way. The government obviously doesn't serve me. And then the wealthy say, hey, by the way, let's tell you some stories. And those stories are always to that purpose. And I got to tell you, the destruction of public education, it makes it less possible to fight back against those conspiracy theories because they go ahead and they fill the vacuum of ignorance. And that superstition grows. And then you have, the, I, I was just talking on my podcast yesterday about the satanic panic. When you have a conservative push, right, when they take over the government and they take over power, all of a sudden, you start talking about demons and possessions and evil spirits lurking in the dark. And what you're not talking about is the corruption by the wealthy of the government and the buying off of the public sphere. It's, it's, it's a perfect distraction, and it's, and it's worked for generations. You know what's so wild to me? I mean, all of that, like, brilliant. It's like every alarm bell just went off. What is so wild to me is how people fall for it all the time. Because I, I want to use, again, COVID-19 as kind of the perfect model of what has happened to our idea and understanding of work and workers, right? So we have 2020, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. We shut down this country and you have only a handful of people who barely make minimum wage, if minimum wage was even passed in their states, right? Um, to be the ones that are going out to get you your groceries, that are bringing you your, your food to your house so that you can stay safe. But it was the poor and people of color that we said, here's this flimsy cloth mask. You go face the virus so that I, right, me, middle class and up people can stay wrapped in the safety of the cocoon of my home. Okay, we applaud those people. We don't call for an increase in minimum wage. We don't call for, you know, a, a, a mandatory maximum of tipping. We do nothing. We just applaud them. We say thank you. Then after a little while, we get annoyed with that. Many people who are privileged were able to continue to work from home, right? Who then realized, why the hell was I spending eight to 10 hours a day in this cubicle, in this office, not being able to see my kids, not being able to cook my dinner, not being able to just live my life 
because I had these overlords that told me that if I wasn't in this space for eight to 10 hours a day, the entire society would collapse. Well, it didn't, right? And now you have a younger generation of people who have graduated from school within this context of, I actually don't need to be miserable. I don't need to bide my time for 30, 40 years. So Jared, it seems really convenient then that we would find ourselves in this place where I have a president of the United States that just said that the COVID-19 pandemic was over. I got, you know, people telling me, well, you know, uh, folks need to come back to work because, you know, uh, we, we need to have more community at work, right? We're a family here. Capitalism isn't about family, right? So I just, it's like, so let us all tell these stories about how young people are so desperate for the community of the water cooler so that then we all have to go back into this grind, into this machine, because the high, the overlords are not going to be able to make as much money if people recognize that they actually don't need to work as hard. So let me tell you the new narrative of quiet quitting, meaning I recognize my value as a human being and I'm no longer going to allow you to treat me like a mule. Yeah. And, and by the way, I am, this was one of the reasons I was really excited to come on this show because let's talk about some stuff. <laughs> you, for, to start with, what you just brought up in terms of like the lockdown is one of the most telling parts of recent American history, which is this. And by the way, I was one of those people. I was a college professor who taught on Zoom. I didn't have to leave my house. I could get DoorDash. I could get things delivered. If I went out and exposed myself, like to get groceries and stuff, it was very, very rare. That privilege on my part was built on the backs of so-called, uh, uh, you know, essential workers, which was an incredible piece of rhetoric that we put out there. Oh, my right? God. And, and basically, and you're exactly right, not only did we not pay those people more, we have not advocated for reform of our medical system. We haven't pushed for anything to actually help any of these people outside of like a couple of things that, by the way, Larry Summers had to go and tell Joe Manchin it was okay to vote on. If that, if you need to know how this stuff works, that's how it works. It's important to point this out. America is built not just on a class system, but on a very, very rigid class system that people don't want to admit. This is one of the reasons why you have a lot of people who are espoused liberals, right? They're like, listen, I care about people. I don't want people to be hurt. But guess what? A lot of your existence as a middle class white uh, collar worker in this country is built and predicated yep. on the suffering of poor people and people of color. I come from like a family of factory workers and laborers. Let me tell you something. They didn't get to stay at home. They didn't get to work on Zoom. Every single day they went out and put their lives on the line. That cruelty, this is one of the reasons why we're facing a crisis in this country, because history shows us that as authoritarianism grows, and we have a bunch of myths about this, by the way. The myth that, oh, uh, authoritarian dictators, they're such good speakers. Like, they, their speeches are so good. The words are so carefully chosen that it hypnotizes the masses. And the next thing you know, you're wearing an armband and goose-stepping down the avenue. That's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. The authoritarian dictators come in and say, we're going to make this place work because there's a crisis in capitalism. And guess who lines up to support them? The middle class, particularly mm. the white middle class. And, and, and this goes into everything that we're talking about. You have people in the media. You have a political class. They'll sit there and they'll say, I care about people. I don't want them to be exploited. 
But meanwhile, down underneath it all, there's a conflict, right? Because yep. they have power, they have wealth, they have influence. This is one of the reasons why our media class just can't see the problem. Mm-hmm. What's everybody pulling their hair about? And meanwhile, you know, some of us are yelling about it and people of color have been yelling about it their entire lives, right? Because that contradiction's always been there. And this is one of the reasons why we see places like CNN and our like, quote unquote, liberal yeah. institutions that are normalizing this. They want a strong man. They want authoritarianism to an extent. They just, they wish that it didn't come with the vulgarity of Donald Trump. You know, they, yep. like, and that's why they love Ron DeSantis. Because he's he's Trumpian, but he's not Donald Trump. He doesn't have those eccentricities, right? He just he he makes the trains run on time, mm-hmm. right? That's what they want. That's what they love, and they will mainstream that. Meanwhile, we have come out of this pandemic, and pandemics throughout history they always lead to a realignment. There's always a moment. Mm. So, like one of the the most major parts in history is the bubonic plague. The bubonic plague finished off feudalism. People all of a sudden, they looked up and they said, why am I working on your land and not getting paid anything? And they walked away and they went to the cities and they got jobs and they got paid more. And it actually broke it down and led to the creation of capitalism, which took feudalism and then turned it into a different form of exploitation. Well, now we've reached this point. And this is one of the reasons why we are coming up on a point of crisis. We've reached this point where the pandemic literally created a new balance of power between workers and employers, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and we don't need to get totally into the weeds on this thing. This is one of the reasons why they're raising interest rates. You, like, if you actually hear the speeches, if you read the speeches, the, the meetings, they're saying we have to rebalance the power between labor and employers. It's out of whack. So as a result, maybe a little recession could help. Make people more desperate to go to work. Can we pass, you know, legislation that will possibly make this happen? Meanwhile, you're exactly right. We have reached a point post, uh, well, I about said post-pandemic, but it's still raging. Man, it's weird how those I know. statements get in your I head, know. aren't they? We've reached this point where we, we, we are sort of reaching the possibility where labor might grow. Again, like we're at like the first time in, I want to say, 50 years, the approval of labor is off the charts, right? In terms of unions and solidarity. That doesn't work for the people who pay for government, who who have corrupted the government. They need people to go to work. They need people to come out into the offices because it's not just about watching over them. Middle management is could completely just blow away tomorrow and everything would be pretty fine, Right. But they also, it, it, it helps with real estate. It helps with these downtowns. Yep. Like the economy wants all of these people to go and circulate the money and, and all this. If the people are going to rise up, if they're going to form labor unions, if they're going to demand better working conditions because they're like, I deserve better. Well, guess what? A strong man's not going to need to come along. And this is one of the reasons we've seen the rise of Christian nationalism. This is one of the reasons we've seen the rise of anti-democratic energies in this country, because the wealthy have reached a point where they have so dominated the sphere that Mm -hmm. people are like, screw this. This is obviously unfair. I'm not represented in government. I'm not respected at work. I got fed into the maw of a murderous generational pandemic. I deserve better. And so as a result, now it's going to come to a point where someone has to Put things right, you know, based on what these people want. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slate's Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. 
Each week on the GabFest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree, but we always deliver thoughtful debate and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political GabFest. New episodes every Thursday. The Damage Report with John Idarola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding, and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, The Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate, and participate in fun activities like voting for, the garbage person of the week, and much more. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you are a student of history, which not many people are because we are not even taught real history in schools, right? You know that this only, Jared, it only goes in one direction, right? And so I I want you to like, and again, I try and paint a very clear picture of where things are headed. I remember 2016 when I started Woke AF and I said, this shit is going to get bloodier before it gets better. I said it on repeat as Donald Trump was ascending to the White House. I'm like, this is the beginning literally of the end. I called it on national television white supremacy's last stand, right? I didn't say how long that stand would be, but I said it was going to be the last one. I will now tie in capitalism based on where we are and what has happened with this pandemic and continues to happen. The stories that are being told about workers, people are lazy, they're quiet quitting, all of this narrative that is coming down from on top. So Jared, tell us, where does this go? Right. Because you say in your upcoming book that like there is an impending crisis. We're already living in compacted crisis. So what is the next one? Yeah. So basically we are sort of in, um, I would say, the labor pains of, of a larger thing that is coming down the pike. And, you know, it, it, it's really I'm, I'm with you. I was talking about this in 2016 when I was like going into Trump rallies and talking to people and people are like, that's absurd. He'll never get elected. And yep. on top of that, like this is just hysterical hair pulling. Everything is fine. The system will go ahead and regurgitate it. Meanwhile, one of the things that kept getting lost in this is that the American system of government was created specifically to go ahead and reward the wealthy, the white, and the powerful, and keep everybody else in control. It was supposed to give us the illusion of representative government. This is the reason why we have so many minoritarian uh, 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 machinations within the government. This is one of the reasons we have the Electoral College, why the Senate was originally not direct voting, right? And also why it's still sort of populated the way that it is. The House of Representatives was almost supposed to be like, Hey, check this out. You have democracy. You know, <laughs> and meanwhile, the Supreme Court over here is like, no, no, you don't. You don't. Actually. So we've reached this point now 
where the illusions of, of the American myth, the idea of liberty, equality, freedom, all those things, um, the American dream has always been a lie. The meritocracy has always been a lie. It's a game that was fixed for white wealthy people, particularly white, wealthy men. Mm-hmm. Um, now that, that that illusion is threadbare, this is one of the things that happens. When that illusion starts to become see-through, people demand that something changes because that noble lie starts to lose its power. You have to find a new noble lie. Yep. And whenever we start having these problems where wealth accumulates in, in, in a few hands, and it's not shocking that your Elon Musk's, your Peter Thiel's, your Koch's, they consider democracy the biggest enemy Threat. that they have. Yep. Period. They they see that as their one impediment to power. This plays out over and over and over again. We've seen it with with everything from the original slaving companies, which took over their governments and outgrew the nations that birthed them, right? All of these things always go in one direction, which is you reach a point of economic and political and institutional crisis. And then it's a moment of malleability. It can go in a couple of different ways. And I always tell people, I actually am optimistic because humanity does continue to win these battles, right? Mm. There will be something that flares up, whether it's the Gilded Age, whether it's fascism, Nazism, you name it. They'll happen. And then people will eventually work their way out of it. I'm not saying that we'll live to see that. (laughs) I I hope like hell that we do. The wheels were starting to turn and I was like, I don't know if I'll be here for the other side of it, but okay. No, not necessarily, because we're getting ready to go into what is probably going to be a long-term crisis. And and one of the things that you see with this, it's not just conspiracy theories. You start to see white supremacist conspiracy theories of a very specific type, replacement theory, right? Uh, what we now call the deep state or what QAnon says, this is a long, long-standing white supremacist yep. idea. And, and it breaks down to this, which is... Democracy is dangerous because it allows outsiders, which are Jews, by the way, it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. It allows them to infiltrate the government, uh, rely on satanic traitors, liberals, Democrats, you name it, and go ahead and manipulate people of color who don't know better, right? Because they're not smart enough to know better. And this isn't just, by the way, deep state QAnon. This is what happened during civil rights. This is what happened during both Red Scares. It's a continual use of these conspiracy theories by the powerful, again, to protect themselves. We are reaching a point where this malleability can go in a different, a couple of different ways. One, we can have a better society, which means sharing resources and actually starting to fix those minoritarian uh, infrastructures, which, by the way, involves learning actual history and learning how the Constitution was actually created and who it was created for. You can create a fairer future, right? And and democracy, when it wins out, it actually moves usually towards egalitarianism. Or we can create a new illusion. And that's what stuff like fascism and Nazism did. It created a, a white supremacist uh, mythology. It merged with Christianity. It merged with national myths. And it created a new myth. Christian nationalism right now is what's on the rise. And the reason it's on the rise is because it's a new mythology. It goes ahead and re, uh, uh, reinforces the old American mythology, the mm-hmm. white supremacist mythology, the Christian mythology, and 
I'm sorry, but things can change in a hurry. You can see all the progress of the 20th century rolled back. Look at Hungary. Look at Russia. What do they do? They take away your rights. They go ahead and say this is a free and fair society. Meanwhile, it's completely structured for all these uh, for all these intense oligarchs. And yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So that that's where we're going. The question is what wins out. But where we're at right now, this is not sustainable at all. And and again, talking about climate change, like the 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 worsening inequality and the specter of climate change, all of these things coming together, they are going to I mean, it's it's going to be combustible. And I got to tell you, it's going to be ugly one way or another. And there's going to be bloodshed one way or another. Mm -hmm. That's just going to happen. The question is what happens on the other side of it. And and that question is still up in the air. You know, it's so fascinating because I remember the first time and people who listen to this show know that I reference this book all the time. The first time that I read Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower series, and I said, there's no way, right, that all that this perfect storm is created. Christo-fascism, Christo climate change, economic instability all happen at the same time to birth this new, dark uh, dystopian America, right? Where each state is operating as its own fiefdom and has built walls around itself because there is no longer any federal institution, any federal protection. It's all been gutted, right? Yep. So each and every place you have to pay off police much in the same way that you do that in developing nations, right? Because there is no, uh, there, there is no one looking and making sure that everyone is on the up and up. And so when you say that, you know, there's a couple of places that this goes, the question will remain for the American people if they're willing to go along for this ride. Yes. Right? Yes. Because we're and, being and, and, taken for a ride. And it's like, are you buckling up for it? And again, this is one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you, because this is not pleasant stuff. I, I, and I want to be very clear, because people always say to me, they're like, you know, this is like The Handmaid's Tale. That's always the push, yeah. right? Like after the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Well, I I want to I want to speak some hard truths here. Mm -hmm. When P, when when everybody said, "Oh, Roe v. Wade's going down. There's going to be the the marches are never going to stop. People won't deal with this." It's September, late September. Yeah, the marches stopped. The marches. You know, stopped. there are still pe there are still protests. All of this, like part of what has happened, and it goes to what you just said. This idea that the federal oversight has been completely dismantled, right? And that's intentional. That goes back to these yep. oligarchs that we're talking about. We now have reached a point where governors, and this is why Abbott and DeSantis yep. are doing what they're doing. Why? Why even Gavin Newsom is doing what he's doing at the state level is where the power resides. Now that's where the main focus on things is. And you can get away with things like ro overturning Roe v. Wade. Why? Because people in blue states feel like it's not going to affect them. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, who's being affected? It's people of color and poor people in states that have already been ravaged. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and I'm sure you've seen on social media as well, everybody like does this thing where they blame people who live in red states. Like, get out. Get it's out. It's not that easy. Like, just, just move. Just move. Just move. And and meanwhile, what has happened? It's turned into this uh, dissection of America where you have one side, like so-called blue states that are insulated from these type things. Right. So when you talk about something like a handmaid's tale or dystopias, this authoritarian movement that we're talking about, it's going to be felt 
in certain places. It's going to, to lead to massive oppression in certain places. And in other places, life is going to feel a lot like what it feels like now. Mm. It's almost like gated communities, right? Mm. You can pay a certain amount of yes. money to be walled off from things. Yep. And neoliberalism, which, by the way, is at the heart of all of this, neoliberalism is all about levels. You pay a specific amount to go on the airplane first, right? You pay a certain amount that you can bypass traffic on the interstate, whatever it is. Yep. You are going to reach a point where the dystopia in America is going to be something that you can pay to get your way out of. You can live a very 2022 existence in the future that is away from the oppression and away from but the authority But you're going to have to pay for it. But you have to pay for it. And meanwhile, it's not going to be... Something like a Handmaid's Tale, you know, you, you you see this thing where it's like, oh, you've been informed on, right? It's a spy network. Yeah, you're going to have spies, but that's not what's happening here. You have algorithmic technology that is historically powerful. And we're already seeing the state use data from your phone, from your search results, from your GPS, whatever. We are talking about the construction of something historically cruel. But... Going back to what we were talking about with the middle mm -hmm. class, particularly the white middle class, mm -hmm. they will allow authoritarianism. They will they will embrace authoritarianism if it allows them to keep their power, their privilege and their safety. And it pushes the cruelty off on vulnerable people like these migrants and they don't have to look at it. Yep. If if it can just be done over here, much like essential workers, if I don't have to see them suffering, if I don't have to see them intubated, if I don't have to see them dying and saying goodbye to their families on iPads, then I'm okay with it. And part of the problem, and I just want to make this final point on this point, mm -hmm. one of the things that leads to change in this country, such as civil rights, middle class white Americans were not necessarily rallying for civil rights in the 50s and the 60s. It was TV bringing the suffering into their home. That they couldn't As turn away from. As civil rights activists made them look at it. They made them smell it. They made them confront it. That's what moved the needle on this. But middle class white people particularly are fine with authoritarianism in a lot of cases as long as they don't have to witness it and as long as it doesn't make them feel guilty about their own privilege, which is one of the upsetting and disturbing parts of this culture. I mean, and that is, you know, and I, I will end here today. God, I could literally talk to you for like days, <laughs> like a marathon podcasting. But, you know, the fact is that to me, that is the responsibility and the power of the fourth estate. That yep. is why it is so imperative that people are paying attention to yep. how we are watching the crumbling of journalism and media under the pressure of capitalism and greed. And that without those cameras, without those conversations, without this analysis that is clear of partisan bullshit, but is very obvious about what is happening to you, you'll just allow it to continue. Yeah, but we've been fed, speaking of bullshit, we've been fed this bullshit story that the media is liberal and, and woke oh, yeah. and leftist. That's not the case. Mm -mm. The media, in, in a very, very large sense, first of all, it's through a corporate lens. It's owned by giant corporations and billionaires like Jeff Bezos who have a very particular point of view, which is that capitalism is good. We don't need a lot of reform. Maybe we look at Trump and we're disturbed by him. But if we get rid of Trump, everything will be fine. Meanwhile, who are the people who are working in journalism? And I think you know this as well as I do. 
It doesn't pay enough for people to live in New York City and Washington, nope. D.C. and Los Angeles. These are people who come from wealth and privilege. Yep. In a lot of cases, their parents are subsidizing their careers in media journalism and or their parents are media moguls themselves. And so what happens here? You have a lot of people who can't face this crisis. Why? Because if you agree that the meritocracy is broken, that white supremacy and privilege is what runs this country, right? And that it's built on the backs of suffering of the poor and people of color. All of a sudden, you got to look in the mirror and you got to start wondering how you became like one of the main journalists in the country and how you became a best-selling author and how you became a media personality. That mythology of America is intertwined with their own personal mythology and they can't face it. They just can't face it. And that's one of the reasons they hated Trump. Trump made them think about it and they needed him gone. They needed Trump to get out of this absolutely incompetent, buffoonish, disgusting man. They needed him to be gone so they could go back to their own sort of uh, privileged bubble and their own mythology could be safe. And, and again, a lot of these people will go along with this thing until the bitter end. God damn. Jared Yates Sexton, you must come back to Woke AF. His, up, his upcoming book is uh, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. And he is the co-host of the Muckrake podcast, which you guys have got to listen to. Jared, I please, please, please come back and join us again. This was eye-opening. It was incredible. And I enjoyed the combo so much. Well, thank you. This is one of my favorite podcasts, so this was a treat for me. Thank you. That is it for me today, dear friends, on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition Podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.